yeah, you can't cheat Skype. Skype knows everything. Yeah, they know. <laughs> they know our lives. They really do, though. So, how have you been? We have. I feel like we haven't recorded in in a little while, like a couple weeks. Yeah, no, we haven't. But I, I mean, that's fine because like we have lots of stuff going on. Yeah, and that you know, I was thinking about that. I was like. There's a couple things that I want to talk about today, like, before we start our interview, but I'm also, like, there's things that I want to talk about, and I don't know if I can talk about them, because I don't know if they'll be public information by the I time. so frustrating. Oh. I feel you. I Dang feel you it. so hard. Dang it. And then I, it's, like, what if, like, obviously I won't, I won't forget because I edit. <laughs> I edit it, and then it'll, it'll be, like, either I have to take it out. Or I have to hold it until who knows when. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to do that to the authors. No, that's true. Um, yeah. And, like, our things where we talk about our own stuff is, like, that's fluid. We can always yeah. adjust those things. We're always around. We're always here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I'm excited about one of the things for, that you can or cannot announce. <laughs> if that Thanks. makes you feel any better. <laughs> Thanks, Kat. Me too. As I know what it is, but I also <laughs> don't know <laughs> if we could tell people. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah. It'll but be no, I mean, it'll be fine. Once I guess once we know I guess it should be like sort of a policy. Like once we know once something is already announced, I guess, we can talk about it on the podcast because yeah. otherwise like sometimes in publishing they'll be like yeah the announcement's gonna go live next week and then it's like just kidding it's gonna be two months from now oh my goodness yes that is such a, so that mm-hmm. is definitely publishing in a in a what is it what's it Nut- called nutshell in a nutshell <laughs> why is that the thing wow in a nutshell i mean why are it, we putting anything in nutshells first of all that's yeah, they're trash. too small. Let's they're put things small. in a trunk at least. Yeah. At the very Publishing least. Publishing in a trunk. I yeah. mean, you need at least at least one trunk to fit all of the baggage. All the and all of the baggage. all of the manuscripts <laughs> that never see the light of day. Oh my goodness. It could yeah. just all be in there together. Although I have uh, I'm currently working on a manuscript that it wasn't trunked necessarily, but like it was definitely hardcore back burner for over a year. And I, I started working on it again because I'm concentrating on my writing more these days and it's been delightful. I'm so happy with it. I'm so happy with like just the process of like concentrating on my writing. Uh, It's so good. It's such a great feeling. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have been, I've had a couple of like, like two weeks now that I've been just like sort of drafting something that's not on deadline and it's such a nice feeling and it's especially nice because you we know that it won't last (laughs) (laughs) yes we do know (laughs) um so it's nice to take advantage of sort of that like and I was fully prepared to not write during Mm -hmm. this time because I was like I need to I need to give myself um, breaks and I need to let myself work on just like one of my projects at a time. Like it's okay to do that, you know? Yeah. Um, But I felt really inspired to work on my um, Witchbirds project. So I just like went for it and um, 
It's a nice feeling. It is. I'm so excited for that one. Yeah, thank it, you. Me too. The concept is so amazing. And also, like, I kind of like how it's evolved over the course of us talking about it. Yeah, like, me too. Um, like the fact that it's it's kind of like changed a little bit in like age category or like in in like it's kind of like jumped genres and stuff. I, I think that it's such a fascinating process to watch someone else like go through that creative journey. You mean like a pantser watching a pantser fully pants, which is what <laughs> yes. it's been. Yeah, I mean same, 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 but only because like I like the direction it's going in. Like there's sometimes yeah. when I do this and it's like a hot mess. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, before we go any further, I wanted to just uh, tell our listeners that uh, we're so we're trying to get our numbers to a certain place so that we'll be able to like make money off this bitch. Um, <laughs> so we need your help to do that. Um, you know, you already do so much putting up with our our rambling and our you yeah, know right. <laughs> our voices every week. You seem to enjoy it. You keep coming back. Um, but uh, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us, like. Um, have even better numbers so that we can start like advertising and um, monetizing the podcast because it's a lot of work. Um, one of those things is leaving us reviews, specifically on iTunes. Um, good reviews only, please. <laughs> if you think the podcast is shit, it's fine. Just yeah, tell you like can, your friend. Yeah, you can like vent to your significant other or your mom about how you keep listening to this annoying podcast. Although, you know, I I guess if you keep listening, then I don't understand why. Um, right. I guess like, still thank you, but in a confused way. <laughs> right. And if you keep listening, don't stop that because oh, yeah. it's good. Um, so, so leave us reviews. I don't know if you can hear the ladies upstairs vacuuming. If so, I'm really sorry. They just I picked. Can. They just picked today, like right this moment to like be like, it's time to vacuum now. It's like, thanks, guys. Um so well, we could never fault someone for their cleanliness. I mean, I guess so. You could have done it a little <laughs> earlier, though. Um, like, gosh, um, don't they know people record podcasts at this time? Um, anyway, um, so uh, leave a review. Uh, if you could just spread the word, um, like to your friends, talk about it on social media, just as much as you can get the word out there about the podcast, we would really, really appreciate it. Um, it would help us a ton. It's not easy to stand out. There are a lot of podcasts out there, and we're doing surprisingly well for people who do not advertise at all anywhere. Um, It's just sort of like people finding us through Twitter and, uh, and iTunes. So if you could just leave us reviews, if you listen every week, just give us those five stars. Say Clarabelle and Kat are great and sexy and we love them so much. (laughs) Uh, Or some variation of that doesn't have to be that. Although you can I, mention how nice our hair is because we both can. We and both coincide in our love of our hair. And like skin. When you ask, and, and our oh, skin. and our skin. Yeah. It's why we're friends because we like the exact same things about ourselves. It is the <laughs> shaky foundation on which our friendship is built. Hair uh, and skin care. Nice That's like all yeah. it is. We should start. <laughs> we should start like a beauty podcast too. That would be really fun. Oh my goodness. It would be a hot mess. It's like. Sometimes on my YouTube channel, I do talk about beauty products and stuff, but I always need to give a disclaimer that I am in no way a beauty tuber. Like, do not take my advice like that seriously. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, you you did help me a lot with my skincare, so I can vouch oh. for you there. And you also, you always have like nice fashion and hair, and like this is becoming like a compliment fest. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> back to my point, which is please leave us reviews. Please tell your friends about the podcast, and you know, download the podcast when you can because those numbers help a whole yeah. buttload. And yeah, tell your friends that they should become what are we calling our fans? Wordies. Wordies. Yeah. Yeah, tell them they should become wordies. We even have a cool fan name now. So, you know, like t-shirts to follow, which is a valid, actually a valid claim because we are closely associated with Gift Girl. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there all, are already write or die t-shirts, just no wordy t-shirts yet. Um, but I should make some. Yeah. How about a promise of like if we hit a certain like number of downloads per uh, episode, then we'll make wordy t-shirts. That's too much work. <laughs> we'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm already tired. I know. <laughs> I'm like that requires like math kind of and I could do math. I'm I was a mathlete. Yeah. Once we you you are such a nerd. Once we um once we are are making some money off this podcast, how about that? We'll do some wordy t-shirts and we'll do some giveaways of those t-shirts. To some yeah. of our listeners. That mm-hmm. would be a cool incentive. Um, and, and of course, you should all be, you know, pre-ordering Wicked Fox as well <laughs> to support Kat. And adding my book on Goodreads since I don't have buy links yet, but soon. And your book is called? Go Squad. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, add my book, but I'm not going to tell you what it's about. My mystery book, which you're going to have to search for. No. Yeah, add Go Squad on Goodreads. Yeah, and Wicked Fox is up for pre-order. I just found out you could pre-order it from Target. Which, and it's on sale right now. Uh, yeah, it's on sale at Target. And Even though we don't sale, know when this is going to go up. but Yeah, and on sale at Indigo Canada, um, which if you're in Canada, then you can purchase it there. So that was an exciting <laughs> Find today. I wonder if Drake will buy it. Oh my God, can you imagine? I would, that would be lose so cool. my whole entire shit. I would like, die. Yeah. Be wild. You would die, and then I would put you in the next Ghost Squad book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I would make quite a nice ghost. You'd make a funny ghost. I would. I can't be a scary ghost. I'm sorry. Like, I just, that's not my thing. If you need, like, someone to be a ghost and scare people for you, then that's just not going to be mine, my shtick. Yeah, I mean, all of the ghosts that are, like, inspired by anyone that I actually know, like, most, there's a lot of ghosts inspired by, like, actual family members or named after them anyway. Um, And they're all the good ghosts. Ghost Squad because oh. there are both scary ghosts and friendly ghosts in the book, Ooh. and there are some friendly ghosts that are scary because they're tias and they can still throw chancletas at you oh, even yeah. in their ghost <laughs> form, which That's is different, terrifying. Um, but you know, scary in that sort of like immigrant family way, scary where it's like, don't cross this one aunt. Or things will happen to you. Um, But not in the supernatural way. But I combined them both because I'm a monster. Um, (laughs) No, I love that. You know, I was talking to um, 
I was talking to my friend recently who um, was kind of just like explaining that she didn't realize she had included certain personal themes into her book. And I, and I won't say what they are because I don't want to like expose like who she is and give away her confidences. But um, she was like, this is something really personal for me that I didn't even know how to talk about. And then one day, like someone who was very close to her was like, did you know you talked about like this specific aspect of like what you've been struggling with lately? And she was like, oh my gosh, I did. And wow. kind of just like went back into her own manuscript and like realized that like her in her writing, she had worked through something really personal without even realizing it. And it, it was, it was like almost cathartic, you know? And yeah. also I, I found it like her, when I was talking to her about it, I was like, that seems like those moments are when you, when, like when you realize like a, something is very personal to the author when you're reading their book is the moment where like the book gets deeper meaning for you as a reader too. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I love those moments as a reader. And like now that I'm a writer and I talk to other writers, it's just like such, a, such a great source of conversation that I've been having lately. Um, and I kind of love it. You know, yeah, I think that's really cool how those things sort of sneak into our writing, and that definitely happens to me often. <laughs> I know the like the main ones, which are like the grief, and yeah. um, it, that's like my main thing that I write about because my writing comes from my creative writing anyway has always come from from that from from losing someone um but there are other things yeah for sure um that I sometimes realize I'm I'm writing about even like without like like after the fact basically like oh yeah. she has self-body images like problems like so do I <laughs> like, yeah so. I mean yeah for sure and also like themes that aren't even like like, you know, common, but very, very specific to you. And you're like, wow, I can't believe I wrote that into that. Like, yeah. I didn't realize this until recently, but I, I was very much like exploring the concept of parenthood and, mm. or like, not like you being a parent, but you having a parent and, and what it means to have like a parent figure in your life and what it means to have a parent figure. That's not your, your, your actual biological parents. Um, and just like the different kind of like found how families maybe yeah found families mm. but like also just like the idea of like needing a parent and then not necessarily having it in your life for one reason or another and like how the how different relationships can kind of like rise up to meet those needs or rise up to just like make you realize that you don't need it um and it's definitely a very personal issue with me. I don't talk about it a lot, but, um, you know, you know, Clara Bell, mm. that I've, I've lost both of my parents um, at a fairly young age, not as a kid, but, you know, as a younger adult, like as an adult, but younger and a younger adult. Yeah, <laughs> as a young adult. <laughs> yeah, not te not like a, a an, an adolescent, though. And, yeah. um, and you know, you, you need your parents for, like, you know, the big things that happen in your life. It doesn't matter if you, you know, are off on your own and stuff like that. And I didn't realize I was working through those issues yeah. um, in my own writing. And now that I've realized it, I'm like, oh, okay, there's that. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because I definitely noticed it right away when I wrote, <laughs> when I read Wicked Fox with, um, with Yenna and just, I was like, oh, okay. And, and, you know, that's, that's definitely something that's like so personal, how that creeps into, 
into your writing and like Mm -hmm. how it happens without sometimes you even meaning to do it. And I think, yeah, that's when it's the most sort of like powerful because it's like it's your subconscious like sort of like having this therapeutic like cathartic moment like through your words and that can be so powerful and special and like I feel like we're lucky to have that tool you know Mm -hmm. um and and yeah it's it's so important because people who are going through something similar or like having to deal with loss especially kids you know what I Mm -hmm. mean like Kids don't respond well to you preaching to them, but they definitely pick up on things that are put down, you know? And so them reading those kinds of themes and those things that come from your heart, it's going to help them. And I think that that's so great and amazing because you, you opened up your heart and like sort of like these wounds, but to help kids and like, how amazing is it that we're able to do that? Yeah. And it's just like the idea of like a story, letting someone know that they're not alone in their complicated feelings is, is very powerful. Um, and, and, you know, as a reader, it, it does feel like almost like you're getting, you're being, you're being trusted by the author. The author is trusting you with like this very personal part of their life. And it creates like a kind of a, a bond, like kind of like a little bit of a connection. Um, and I definitely remember like reading stories when I was a kid and, and, um, when they went through like, you know, certain themes or issues that like I was working through at the time. And I was like, I'm really, I'm, I'm really grateful that this author like shared, you know, this aspect of it with me, um, because it helped me work through it on my own. And mm-hmm. it kind of, it's like, you know, you feel like you're having a, a nice intimate conversation almost mm-hmm. with this person. Sure. Um, and I, I find that to be really powerful. It is. It's, it's so helpful. And yeah. it can be hard to write, though. Like, I know that I oh, for sure. there were moments when I was writing Ghost Squad when I was just like, shit, I need to take a break. Because I'm talking about something like on the surface, the book is so um, sort of like whimsical and fun. It's this, this adventure. But it's also about like being able to hold on to people who have gone after they're gone. And mm-hmm. like what like my intense desire for that to be possible and um just sort of uh throughout the book is my main character Luceli is like fighting not to lose that and Mm -hmm. like a lot of times I just would like sort of break down as I was crying as I would I would break down as I was crying yes no I would break down as I was writing writing. um because it it can be really hard to to put that much of like your sort of biggest desire and like of all the hard stuff that you've been through like put so much of that on the page is it's not always easy but I'm happy Mm -hmm. I did it yeah I mean it's so interesting I think that people do dismiss the concept of like fantasy and speculative fiction in dealing with really serious things especially grief but Mm -hmm. I always think about this one scene that was in Harry Potter um the third Harry Potter book uh Prisoner of Azkaban oh no no not the third one the fifth one Mm -hmm. Order of the Phoenix um and you know I guess spoiler alert for and for the two people in the world who have not read Harry Potter they've had enough time um but it's after Sirius Black dies and Harry is, you know, really upset about the death of his godfather, like pretty much the only parental figure that he had in his young short life who loved mm-hmm. him. And he runs to go uh, talk to uh, nearly headless Nick 
and ask like how ghosts stay in like our realm, like who becomes a ghost and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's, he's desperately hoping that Sirius stayed as a ghost. And it's, you know, I mean, on the surface, like the idea of like a little kid running to find a ghost and asking a qu- ghost question sounds like so silly, but that moment was, it, it broke me, you know, mm-hmm. like I cried when I was mm-hmm. reading that. I was just like, his grief is so huge that he's holding on to this, this hope, yep. hope that like, hopefully Sirius Black didn't move on. Hopefully he became a ghost. Hopefully he'll haunt this world so that Harry can see him again. Yeah. And it's just like such a sad moment and it uses fantasy tropes, obviously, to talk about it, but it's, it was so effective. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and it can be. And I think that's why those things are, are so important, because you get to deal with these like big issues in these settings where like something like that wouldn't be possible in in real life where you're talking to an actual ghost. So like yeah. putting that in a story and like explaining sort of lost that way is it can seem silly but it's actually so effective um it is now if um joanne would just stop changing things after the fact it would be really great for all of us oh yes well you know i just i just feel like i've closed the door on any any evolution of harry potter i've decided (laughs) it is what it was you know in what when did it end like 2007 yeah like so long ago yeah, that was the end <laughs> for me. It's and that that will forever be how it is in my mind. It's in stasis. I, yeah, I feel like I feel like I wonder. I mean, not that I'm giving her any excuses, but I, I do wonder I if there. Wonder. If, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I wonder if some of this comes from like a pressure to like keep on, you know, keep on providing more for people who are such avid fans and I'm sure they're always like asking her like what about this what about this and so then off the top of her head she's like yeah sure this is true and then you know doesn't realize like the deeper implications of agreeing with something like that I don't know I mean okay so part of it and this might be unpopular opinion um but I think part of it it, at least like sort of on the surface seems admirable in terms of like her being like oh oh you you love Dumbledore guess what he's gay bitch um in terms of like (laughs) like the bigots you know what I mean Mm -hmm. but but the thing is like it's fine it's it's okay she said that one thing but then she has the chance to actually make him gay in the movies Mm -hmm. and she doesn't take it Mm -hmm. and that's where it sort of falls apart for me because like when she initially said Dumbledore was gay I was like that's so cool like yeah I wish she had written it in but it was written in the 90s it was a long time ago I get it maybe she didn't have the balls to do it back then whatever Mm -hmm. um but like now she she can do things to sort of like change that and to like make it actual canon and she's not and 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 that's why it feels really performative and then, then you add all the other stuff that she keeps adding on, and then it just becomes ridiculous. But, like, for yeah. that one specific instance, um, I feel like it started off as a, as a, like, sort of like a F you to mm-hmm. people who liked Harry Potter, but that were bigoted, um, yeah. which I'm so behind. Like, yes, make them suffer. Um, yeah. But, like, <laughs> if you're not going to go the full, like, it just becomes like sort of like a show. It's like, you know, you're you're trying to get like brownie points without actually doing the hard work of putting diversity into your work. Um mm-hmm. 
and on the screen. Um, yeah. Which she's totally in a position to be able to do. You yeah. know, she could she, like, like Uncle Rick, like he has got it down. Like he is, <laughs> he's helping people from, you know, he could, he could have written all of those books himself or gotten, could have or had, or had writers. them. Go, yeah, exactly. But mm-hmm. he didn't. He was like, I'm not going to do yeah. that. I'm going to start my own imprint. And he, not only does he do it, but like he goes full out with support for his authors like he does he like dresses up for them on social media he (laughs) he defends them at every turn like when people are like why don't you write about this and he's like this is why and like he explains it and like Mm -hmm. um you know he he promotes their other books too like not just their um Rick Riordan books but like their like young adult books and everything he's just a champion and I think for any like white person who's white author especially like if you're successful and you're looking to be an ally like obviously not all of you can start an imprint like Rick but look at his behavior and like how he how he addresses things and how he treats um, authors of color. And it's a really good um, model to go by because he, he does a lot of good. Yeah. His actions have, have more than, than met his words, you know, like he's, he definitely, and also it's very possible that he gave up like a payout, you know, a payday by saying, I'm not going to write him myself. Like, I mean, of course he would get more money as the actual author of the book than as just like working as, as just like heading the imprint. Um, but like, that wasn't what was important to him. What was important to him was boosting the voices mm-hmm. and he had the ability to do that. And also, you know, I, I do often think that perhaps like his beginnings, like gave him a lot of empathy and a lot of insight because he started off as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I know any other profession that is way more linked in to like what kids need these days and what, you know, and ways to like, advocate for children it's teachers like that that know better than you know kid lit you know yep absolutely um, it's teachers and and so like i mean anytime i have a conversation with any educator i'm always i've always learned learn something new um they're definitely <laughs> underappreciated um but doing working so hard and honestly like have the best intentions that i've ever seen of anyone in this world who like wants to make a better world and, you know, the fact that he has that background, it makes it, it seems so obvious that like he would be this great compassionate person. Like he's just <laughs> this great person. And yeah, this, um, this podcast yeah. is now a Rick Riordan stand. Yeah. Welcome to the Rick Riordan fan cast. <laughs> where we just talk about how much we love Uncle Rick. Did mm-hmm. you know I asked, I asked um, why, <laughs> where did the, I asked where Uncle Rick came from and it came from his fans. Like it came from, I feel, I, I believe it was fans in South America. Oh, Theo Rick. Theo Rick. And then they were like, we love that. So they just call him Uncle Rick now. I think it's just so cute. It's so fitting. He's, yeah. He's just the best. Uh, all right. Call me, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I'm here. I'm also here. We love you. We love you. Be your friend. <laughs> All right, so our interview today is with Amy Rose Capetta and Corey McCarthy. They are the authors of Once in Future, which is coming out March 26th, which is tomorrow. How are you guys doing today? Great. We're doing good. Yeah, we're, we're, we're excited to talk to you. This is, yeah. the, this is the interview we've been looking forward to the most. Oh, to be- wow. 
Yeah, oh, we're so wow. honored. We're so we're excited s- to have you. We're special. We love being the, the most anticipated. <laughs> that, <laughs> that makes us happy. Um, yeah. So um, I'm really excited about Once in Future. Uh, gender-bent King Arthur just sounds so amazing. Um, but before we get into uh, what the book is about and all that good stuff, do you both want to sort of give us a rundown of your publishing journey? It's a little different because I don't think we've ever had um, anyone who's co-writing a book before on the podcast. Uh, so I'm not sure what the agent journey was like, uh, if you guys had separate sort of agent journeys um, or if you're represented by one person. I'm not sure if you each want to take a turn at that and then we can talk about how um, the idea for Once in Future came about and how the whole book deal um, happened. Yeah, um, we are represented by two people, but they're both named Sarah. Oh, so, perfect. So not confusing at <laughs> all. <have> Sarah. <laughs> the Sarahs. They are a powerhouse of Sarahs. And they are friends, which they works are. out really nicely. Oh, that's so nice. I think, thank goodness. Imagine they hated each other. That would just be so awkward. It would totally. Like it's, they definitely talk to each other and they get back to us, and we appreciate that because then they come as a united front, which is nice. Um, But Amy Rose and I have have similar publishing stories with some important differences. Um, We both uh, we met at Vermont College of Fine Arts, where we were we were getting our masters in fine arts in. writing for children and young adults. And then very shortly thereafter, we both started publishing. And that was in 2013, our debut books came out. Yes. And then since then and now, we've had several other books come out. Once in Future is our fifth book for each of us, right? I think that's right. Yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. The math is funny, yeah. You don't even know. You don't even know. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but it's our fifth book. Each, yeah, and in the publishing industry, they're always trying to like re-debut you. Yes, um, I've gotten re-debuted like two or three times now, and then this is our well, this is my fourth re-debuting of. This is our co-authored uh, debut, yeah. and and it was a really different publishing um, journey than some of the other books. But um, which should, should we talk about? Agent? You want you talk about your agenting? Okay, I'm um, gonna I'm gonna interview you. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, our job is so much easier now. This is I great. Know. Um, I also like that having four people kind of feels like a party all of a sudden. It um, is a party. Yeah, it's a party here. <laughs> um, so my agent journey was a little different. So I did get my agent, who I work with now, right after I graduated um, from BCFA, but. And that's the agent that I've published all of my books with. But I um, secretly or not so secretly had an agent before that who was absolutely the wrong agent for me. So I have a bit of a different story where I I went into it and did everything wrong, (laughs) Um, like right up front. But I got, you know, I got a lot of it out of the way, which was good. Um, Mm. And I was so young when that happened. Um, I was right out of undergrad and I was really excited that someone wanted to represent my work. And so I was really like, I I don't think I was wrong to be excited or eager, but I think that I also didn't know the field yet. And I didn't know the questions you're supposed to ask agents and the the sort of things that it really helps to look for, you know, in terms of what they have represented, you know, um, 
their knowledge of the field and their communication style, all these different things. So all these things that I didn't know <laughs> came back to bite me in the ass. And, and, um, and I ended up, the good thing about that is that at the time I was so sad the book didn't, that, that I had out didn't get picked up, but I'm actually really, really glad it worked out the way it did because I came out of that knowing that I, the one thing that came out of it was that I wanted to write books like this. I, you know, if I could get to that point, everything could go, could feel like it was going wrong and I could still want to write books like this as much as I did, then I must finally be on some kind of right track, even though it was, you know, kind of the biggest disaster. So it ended up like that's many years later, <laughs> I can see from, from this perspective. Um, hindsight. hindsight. <laughs> Glorious, really works out, and so I have this wonderful, amazing agent now. And I and I had all of these questions, like I had that, you know, I had all of these things that I that I knew I was looking for. And it was funny because she was actually the first agent I ever met or talked to after um, my first agent breakup. And I was so determined not to sign with her at first because I was like, don't take things, you know, don't don't just assume that that's going to be your agent. Don't don't assume that's going to be the dream person for you because, you know, you got to do your due diligence and all this. And then she ended up being the absolute right. Perfect person. Oh, oh, that's so so good. Good. It's, it's like the agent version of the first pancake theory. Have you heard that theory? No. <gasps> it's, is this that? is about like after a romantic breakup, but they say like the first person you date after a breakup will never be a solid relationship because it's the first pancake and you always burn the first pancake. <laughs> <laughs> I was, worried about that first pancake that I almost ignored the perfect pancake for me oh you did (laughs) you're the exception (laughs) I've also heard that referred to as the starter agent like did you have a starter agent like an agent that you got before you got your real agent yeah yeah I have heard that because there's a lot of people who who um we we see this a lot in our teaching and freelancing with, with writers who are really really excited and they say things like, I just want an agent, any agent. And you're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 you don't. <laughs> you're reaching for them and like out of concern. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, yeah. That, that is something that I tell people often. Like, it's not true. Like you want a good agent. Like at the, at the very least you're wasting an entire book. Like, and, and, and that's, that's like, on the lower end of the spectrum of what can go wrong. Um, so yeah, that's definitely good advice. Everyone out there, listen, or <laughs> I'm going to be really mad at you. Yeah. Just my hindsight and just, yeah. Yes. <laughs> For sure. But also Amy Rose, it sounds like actually you did the right thing by like questioning yourself mm-hmm. and like just constantly like kind of trying to reassess like what was right for you in the moment. And yes. it makes sense that even though you ended up with that agent, it was the right agent for you because you, you didn't accept it easily. And so it just, it seems like it was supposed to work out because you did the right thing for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes we're also like sort of like waiting, um, so long in publishing and just like waiting for things to happen that it's good for us to like constantly like reevaluate our situations and like what's going on like is this right for me like is everything okay and there's nothing wrong with with questioning that because sometimes that can lead to like hey no not everything's okay um so for sure um I'm really glad it worked out though yeah me too (laughs) so at what point after you guys both um like 
got your now your Sarah's. Mm-hmm. How <laughs> how did the how did the like deciding to write Once in Future together and 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 sell that come about? Um, I would not stop bugging Corey about this book. <laughs> I just, every time we talked about stories we wanted to write, we sit down together. You're really cute, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I made myself as obnoxious as possible so you would write this book. Oh, love this. Because I just was so attached to the idea immediately, and it was years of every couple of months we sit down together and talk about all the stories. We just, like, blurt all the stories we could possibly want to write and then we start to sort of sift through them and figure out what we're actually going to focus on and and what order things might go in um and Corey would put this at right at the end of the list every single time for years mm-hmm. no that right at the top write it for me please and it would just we would just keep coming back to that and after a couple of years um that was like a pie in the sky dream to write girl king arthur i was like there's no way i can do that um I, I was waiting for somebody else to do it. I was like, come on, J.K. Rowling. Like, <laughs> are there. <laughs> right I mean, story. there's still time for her to yeah. retroactively <laughs> do that. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah. And so I was, I, was, I was waiting. I was being patient. And it never happened. And I thought, this is such a missed opportunity. And then I just said to Amy Rose one day, like, um, I will I will write that if you write it with me. And it was really kind of a cute moment because I had been sitting on this first chapter and this first chapter is written about this. It changed, but some of it changed and some of it didn't. You know, uh, the girl King Arthur character, whose name is Ari, pulls Excalibur in the first chapter. We always knew that was going to happen. And then I didn't have anything after that for years. And then I gave it to Amy Rose and I said, all right. Merlin is in this book and he's a point of view character and he, if you know your King Arthur canon, he ages backwards and this is so far into the future that he is officially a teenager and he's unhappy about it. And then I was like, <laughs> no. And she just went off like a rocket. Um, so much of that second chapter that's that's Merlin never really, it, it, it was edited, but it never really changed. Mm-hmm. Like you sat down and just wrote Merlin. And I was really intimidated to do it too because it's Merlin. It's Merlin, yeah. Canonically amazing character. And but but the way you broke it down for me, I was like, grumpy queer teen mage. No, that's I got that. That's me. (laughs) So very personal to you. Like that was was close to your your uh, high school experience, wasn't it? Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I'm still a grumpy teen mage um, right now. Yeah. Um, What um? Why did you? Why didn't you think you could write? the book i'm curious i think the king arthur canon is is something that i've looked up to for a long time and i've read a bunch of different you know king arthur books from from all of that we have i think we have a picture of our shelf somewhere with all the different ones that we've loved over the years but like putting your you know stepping into that lake was very very intimidating and I am much much more brave when Amy Rose is beside me um we've had a lot of fun talking about this book because it doesn't feel like one of our books that we write on our own it's not as scary in that way like I'm always like let me tell you how good Once in Future is and I feel like I can say that because Amy Rose brought all the the awesomeness to it (laughs) but I do the same thing where I'm like I can talk it up in a way yeah it doesn't feel 
like it came from me. It feels like it, it really feels like one of those books that was already out there and we just got to and this is part of it. Yeah. And this is part of some really cool writing advice that I actually got from author Kathy Appelt at um, the Loon Song Retreat, uh, which is a really great retreat up in the Minnesota wilds. If you ever want to look into it, it's, I think it's loonsong.org or something like that. But I, I, you know, I went up to Kathy, who's an amazing person. And I said to her, I, you know, she had just written maybe a Fox with Allison McGee. Yeah. And I said, she, she had just written this book and it was doing so well. And I said, you know, Amy Rose and I just started writing this, co-authoring this book together and we're so excited. And do you have any advice? And Kathy said, yes, I do. And she got very, very serious. I'm like so serious. I had to sit down. <laughs> um, uh, she even shared, she's like, well, I'm happy to report that Allison and I are still friends. However, it's, it's a very uh, it's it's a very involved process. I think a lot of people jump into co-authoring without realizing how much work it is mm. and how different it is from writing on your own. Um, so she said to me, "You can't think of the book as your book, and you can't think of the book as her book, and you can't think of the book as as a book that you share together. You actually have to think of the book as if it belongs to itself." And oh. And in in that way, we got we had a really awesome shorthand to look at the King Arthur story belongs to itself. Yeah, it belongs to itself. Yeah, belongs to all of us. And so it was I think in in a way it was easier. Yeah. To have that experience with writing a retelling like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. That makes so much sense. And that's so cool. And that's a cool way of looking at it as well. Um, And I've, I've often wondered how challenging it is to co-write a book because I know how stressful it is just writing it by yourself. Um, and Kat and I are actually going to do one of these in the future. So okay. I'm like, taking like, some notes. Talk about that now? <laughs> it, it's It'll a lot of experience. It's, yeah. It's, it's so much fun. The rough draft part, especially is just like the rough draft part is just like freewheeling running downhill. It's so it's like if one of my regular fun. drafts got struck by lightning in a really good way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had so much fun writing the first draft of Once in Future that it was 40,000 words too long. <laughs> oh, wow. Our, yeah. agents, our agents read it. They read it really fast. They both get back to us and they were just like, we love it. Um, our one note is that could you please cut 40,000 words? Also, could you do it in the next 10 days because all of publishing is about to go on summer holiday and we need to get it <laughs> under the wire. So we cut 40,000 words in 10 days. Yep. Oh, that sounds that. painful. Yeah. Was, I would cry. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a picture of us somewhere like sprawled on the, um, <laughs> like our word counts behind us. Yeah. And that was, that was real. That was not staged because we, oh. we really weren't able to cut whole things out of the book. We had to just shake. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But, but it was also 40,000 words too long because we let the banter go on as long as we wanted yeah. in every scene. In the first draft, we were like, we're not going to cut ourselves off. And we were like kids who got told that they could stay up as late as they wanted. And yeah. <laughs> we really did. So yeah. so we had to we had to pay for that later. But I, but I think it was worth it because we got we got a lot of the book was way better when we cut it. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure, yeah. That's usually the case, right? Um, It's painful, but it it pays off in the end. 
Yeah. So could could you guys tell um, us a little bit about what the submission process was like, especially for like a co-written book? Um, was being on sub like easier when you had like a co-author there to? I mean, you guys have each other anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. um, when you're going through the painful publishing moments, but sort of because you both, um, this was both of your books at the same time. Um, was it any different? And could you just sort of tell us a little bit about how the publishing, the, the submission process went in general as well? Well, our agents came up with a list together and then we added a couple names to the list um, of people that we were just tracking um, out of interest. And also because this book had so much queer content and it was really important that we weren't sending this out to places that weren't going to be able to handle it or were going to ask us to change things or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we had to take it was just that extra was the publisher that we just took off the list because they don't like squares. It. And we were like, no, we're not oh, doing I that. Oh, I think we, I think maybe it was Scholastic. It was Scholastic. They don't I believe mean, in swears. And that's yeah. totally, yeah, like, but, that's but the book for is them. riddled with them. Yeah. That, <laughs> so that book was never going to make it for, for Scholastic. Because even if we took out every single swear, it would still be the type of book that was written with them in it. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it went, it went out on submission in the very late spring. Cause remember published our, our agents were like, Oh no, it's summer. People are not there. That's not actually <laughs> true by the way. Like people are half there. Yeah. So they're still reading books. They're just doing it much more slowly. Um, and then, so every, so in, in the summer, the publishing doesn't have anything on Fridays. So every day, at every week at Thursday at 5 o'clock, we would celebrate yes. because it meant we made it through another week and we didn't have to think about it again until Monday. So we, had, we do this whenever we're on sub where we just kind of treat yourself for the weekend. Um, whenever you survive a week and you don't have to think, you know, the weekend, you don't actually have to think about anything. Oh, that's um, such a smart thing. I love yeah, that's that. such a healthy thing to do. <laughs> I know, seriously. Yeah, so it's, that actually helped. We have we have a good friend of ours right now who is on sub, and you know, I was like, "It's Friday at five o'clock. You you did it. You, you're trying <laughs> to remind us to this for other people. <laughs> yes, you're, you're going to be great. It's gonna. You don't have to think about that until Monday at nine a.m. Yeah. Um, and then, so we did get uh, we d- we got several close calls with lunch and future on sub and we got several, we got a couple offers and that was really exciting. We actually got offers from two editors that we had put on the list. So we always, tell, we always tell writers that your, your agents are very savvy and they know what they're doing, but you also might know. If you're aware of what somebody's putting out there and you're, and you're connecting with that, or you, you know, have, have a good feeling about a particular editor. Talk talk to your agent about it because you know yeah. they it could make a difference. So so um, and then it was really terribly hard, painfully hard to choose. Um, yes, very very hard choice. <laughs> so how did you choose? What what um, what did you do to like sort of narrow it down? The deciding factor, there, there was two different deciding factors. We talked to both editors on the phone. We love both editors. We yeah. know both editors. Um, one of them was able to provide a much, much more intensive marketing plan, mm-hmm. which was interesting to us because we always saw this book as a big, as a big 
blockbustery kind of fun, we, crazy, yeah, we, wild thing. We didn't we, want it to be a, a yeah. quiet little nobody's ever heard of it book. We really well, did that. We, we didn't want wanted it. We, did, we didn't want anyone to have an excuse to say that it was a niche queer book. We yes. didn't want anyone to have an excuse to to like say, oh, this is this is nice. Let's let's sort of quietly let's put it over here for the queer kids. But <laughs> you know, nobody else needs to know about it. Um, yeah. We, yeah, we really wanted that happens a lot to our book. Yeah, <laughs> we just wanted that to to have that that boost and that visibility if it could, and and to have, um, you know, we love, you know, big fantasy sci-fi adventure stories. These are the kinds of things that we are just total nerds about, and we wanted a book like that that was Girl King Arthur and that was extremely queer, and and we wanted it to be something that readers could really find and 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 have that kind of. Um, big push behind it. So that so was the really... Mar- the marketing, the marketing plan was, part of it, yeah. was big. And then the other thing was that the editor in question um, at at Jimmy at Little Brown, where we ended up taking the deal, she was my editor for two of my other books at a different publisher. And I loved working with her. And Amy Rose had always seen how much I loved working with her. And I was really, really excited the day we got on the phone and all three of us were talking. And within like six minutes... She had given us just these two offhanded notes that like changed, be, became huge yeah. changes to the book. Wow. And, and I so remember much for the better, yeah. I remember just like wordlessly looking at Amy Rose and shaking my head, like, "Yep, this is this yeah. is what happens when you work with Aubrey. She's she's fucking awesome." Yeah. Ooh, can I say fun? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We curse all the time. It's- okay. Yes. <laughs> I am a pirate, so <laughs> it's it's a safe space for cursors here. Nice to hear. Yeah. So so I have a question. So um, you both started publishing in 2013, and in publishing years, that's like a hundred years. Um yes. So so can you tell us like? Do you have any sort of insight in how much um, it's changed for you as queer writers, but also, like, what sort of changes you've seen in the industry for books like Once in Future? Okay. Okay. I'll be honest. Uh, So back in 2013, uh, I had several books that had a lot of queer content taken out. Um, And, um, yeah. That, I think that kind of speaks for itself. That, Absolutely, that's not, yeah. yeah. That shouldn't yeah. be happening at all. I have my my sophomore book, Breaking Sky, um, is about queer teen fighter pilots. You won't find you won't find it on any queer lists because I wasn't allowed to use the word bisexual in it because they worried that it would make it a niche book and that booksellers and librarians would treat it differently. I was very very. Uh, I was very, it was my choice in the end. I'm not blaming anyone, but I was persuaded to do it. And nobody's asking me to do those things anymore, which I feel awesome about. Well, I also think we came back with something that was so like, I mean, you can't take the queer out of once in the future. (laughs) Can't take it out. So so to come back with something, you know, and and, and to see it um, being treated the way that it is, is really exciting um uh so because i because i have seen it pop up on people just talking about fantasy books or talking about adventure you know you want it to be on the queer list that's awesome like you want that um discoverability for for those 
people who are looking for those books, but you also just don't, you don't want it to get pigeonholed in, in any direction. So it's, there's something really exciting about that. I'm honestly in 2013, just the idea of, of queer genre fiction in YA was like still a baby. Um, mm-hmm. there, there were maybe like five titles that I could think of. Wow. That's wild. It was literally like one hand. I could count what was out there. Um, and we did a, yeah, we did, we did rainbow boxes in 20, was that 2014, 2015? That was 2015. Um, where we collected, um, we, we made a collection of, uh, LGBTQ YA fiction and sent it to, um, we, we did fundraiser and raised over like $15,000 to send these books to, um, community libraries and, um, LGBTQ homeless shelters and uh, GSAs across the country, one in every state. And uh, the reason we were doing that was completely reactive to having these kind of really harsh conversations in publishing where it was like, we can't market these books. Like we'll acquire these queer books, but we can't really afford marketing for them because they're such a niche audience. And then, and that poor niche audience never even gets to hear about them. Then the publisher comes back and say, nobody actually wanted these books after all. And we were really upset about that. We We were just, we were, we were worried that that was going to, you know, that the door was going to start closing and we wanted to just do everything we could to, to say, you know, the, the readers are here. Sometimes they can't find the books. Sometimes the community libraries don't have the money, you know, in their budgets to buy anything except the bestsellers. bestsellers, You know, sometimes they have, have, uh, they, sometimes they have people who are trying to, um, you know, say what they are and aren't allowed to buy with their budgets. But if you donate a book to them, then they can put it on the shelf. Um, we did run into that, uh, at the time. As, places. as a little timestamp though, we put, um, Simon versus the homo sapiens agenda in our rainbow box because nobody had heard of it at that point. Wow. But it's true. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was in there because we were like, people should know about this book. And we just, that one was in there. Yeah. That's that's so incredibly frustrating. And it does sound a lot like what, you know, people of color go through when it comes to publishing where it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, well, we're not going to put any marketing behind this. And then the book doesn't sell. And it's like, well books with POC leads don't sell. And it's like, well, because you're not marketing. And what did you want? (laughs) What did you expect? Um, So it makes a lot of sense that for once in future, you wanted to go with like the beefy marketing campaign then also um, hearing sort of like the history behind um, your publishing journey. And, and those, those, those marketing plans are so, so important to authors, just like incredibly important. Well, yeah, but yeah. I, think it, I think it's so much because because authors do so much more self promo now. It's like you're the face of the book, but I think sometimes people forget that in large part you still don't really sell most of the copies yourself. Right. You 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 can be more visible and you can be there, you know, for people to talk to and meet at book events, and that's great. But the idea that the book isn't ultimately sold by the publisher and for the most part, and then the market through the marketing they do, through the publicity they do, you know, through the outreach that they do and finding the readers that I think it can, it can sometimes seem a little bit like, um, you know, you might not, you might not need that marketing plan, but I think, but I think you, a lot of times it helps, you know, you can never, there's no secret, there's no secret equation where it, it's always going to work or it's, it's, it's always going to, um, 
fail, but it, it definitely helps to have the publisher behind it, you know? For sure. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Because like so many people, like, like, like a lot of people who are really entrenched into the kidlit like community, um, know like the special niche places to go to like find what books are coming out. But like the majority of readers are not that plugged in to the community and they're finding out from like the main sources, which are the publishers, like, or like their Amazon recommended reads, which is also like problematic in its algorithm. So it's really important that the publishers like put support get behind these books if they really mean that they want them to succeed. Um, but that has yet to be completely proven if they actually mean it or not yet. <laughs> yeah. And some people, some people are definitely trying. Um, yeah, some people are. But it's, it's not, it's nowhere near where it needs to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah. now that we know a little bit more about how the book came to be, can you guys give us a quick pitch of what Once in Future is all about? Yes. You want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> we just, we just there was a, video. There was like a you want to just saw <laughs> glare at each other. This is our favorite part. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, I'll do it. We just need to memorize. We do. Like an elevator script. Once in Future yes. is about Ari, who is the 42nd reincarnation of King Arthur. And she is the first girl in that lineage um for reasons that become clear in the story and um she is uh pitted against the big bad of this universe that she lives in uh which is a rather virulent uh form of capitalism and a big mega corporation and she is uh helped by merlin who we've talked about being <laughs> the grumpy teen mage that he <laughs> Story. And the Knights of the Rainbow, who are all of her friends and people who are gathered throughout the story, who are really, really fun to write. And um, and I think that's yeah, that's it's awesome. it's the King Arthur story in a in a very very different way. It's kind of like um, yeah, a lot of people keep saying, oh, this is like King Arthur meets Fire Firefly, and I was like. Yeah, it's more King Arthur meets Farscape, if you get that reference. <laughs> um, yeah. But it is, but when, um, this kind of circles back to what we were talking about in the beginning when I asked Amy Rose to write it with me. If I had written this book on my own, it would have been dark YA, uh, King Arthur dystopia. Amy Rose brought this lightness and humor that the story could not exist without. Somebody recently just said on was on an Instagram post said that it had Douglas Adamsy humor, and I was like, "This is thing anyone's ever said about a book we've written." <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. the book is the book is when it comes down to it, it's swords and magic, and Corey brings the swords, and I bring the magic, and it's sort of we meet in the middle, yeah. and um. But it's fun, too, and there's yeah. space dragons, and there's mythological swords, and there's, and there's you know, rampant capitalism that is definitely parallel to what we're dealing with right now. Hmm. But, hmm. but we didn't want people to feel depressed about it. There, there's a lot of talk about immigration and people being hateful to other people for no reason. Um, but there's also identity freedom, which was one of the really huge pulling reasons why we wrote it, which is that it's just a future where you are the gender you are, you are the sexuality you are. There is no heteronormative constraints or expectations. Um, that was really super 
bringed, right? Yes, except for, you know, Merlin, who's coming oh, from right. this older society, and he brings this kind of contemporary attitude of, like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing that but you then guys we, have pulled this off. But then we get to show how outdated that will seem, so yeah. hopefully very soon. Hopefully um, soon. Um, so, I love that. That's such a great, that's actually, that's so genius to like, to like, because it's kind of like Merlin is like the vehicle that people who live in our contemporary world world can like travel with in order to like, because his perspective will kind of be more familiar to them. But like Mm -hmm. in this world, his perspective is the outlier. And I kind of love the idea of that. I think that's like such a genius way to do it. Um, it sounds amazing. It, it sounds, sounds amazing. so much fun, and I'm really excited to read it. And it's it's getting such great free buzz. It got like what is it like three starred reviews? Is it? Three? Did it, I got it got yeah I got yeah. three starred reviews. That was, that was exciting. We we actually when we first started writing this book, we legitimately had a conversation where we were like, it is okay if no reviewers <laughs> want like this book because it's because it's we just wanted it to be fun and and. Its own thing, and we didn't know if people would sort of uh, on, on the review side of things would would get behind that. So we we sort of had that. Wait, this is the really honest podcast. This can is I, really honest. Can I say? Can I say the honest thing we say? Yeah. Well, if it's up to us, <laughs> once have to now. <laughs> yeah. Once in future got three starred reviews and one serious microaggression. Which we decided uh, we're doing something. <laughs> we're doing something right. Actually, it's really not even a microaggression. It was a full-on. It's just an aggression. It was a full-on aggression, and we won't tell you what trade publisher gave us that aggression. You can find it. All you have to do is Google. It'll <laughs> it'll spawn right out at you. Oh, I'm sorry yeah. that happened, but I mean they can eat your farts because you got three starter views. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we kind of step back and we we weren't upset we actually were like could we get t-shirts with those quotes on it <laughs> oh my god oh my god please do it yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know yeah because i was like this is this is amazing i i mean the, our whole publisher was just scratching our heads we're like how did they think they could get away with this i'm like because people still do yeah yes well, because people still say these things about about queer folks, and you know, and like, and and books with people of color, where they're like, "This is just diversity brownie points." So, yeah, you know, yeah, oh, gosh. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man, you should yeah. make the t-shirts though. Yeah, <laughs> I fully I, support yeah, it. I want, them. <laughs> <laughs> I want the shirt. I actually made t-shirts. You know, the little like ampersand t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I made those for us like while we were still doing the rough draft <laughs> with all the character with all the casts on them so that we would like that site we were like a year away from subbing it and i was just like yeah my t-shirts because then it'll be real if we could give any little piece of advice to writers like buy merchandise for your book while you're writing the first draft it's encouraging <laughs> to you yeah <laughs> wow I mean, I mean, I yeah, that. my, um, Peter, our friend Peter does, he does that so much. Like he does like cover designs and everything for his book. And he says that it really encourages him to keep going because it, it's sort of like visualizing it for the future. So I think that's a really good idea. Not like, not like, um, start your own merch line for other people <laughs> to buy, <laughs> but like for yourself. No, <laughs> keep you going yeah just just like per you know uh, I had a, a writing mentor tell me many years ago that you have to celebrate every 
every single milestone in this business. Um, it's not when you sell a book or when you get the book in your hands, you have to celebrate having a good writing day and having a cover that you don't hate and getting to the end of a, a revision. You have to, you have to have these ways to celebrate every little piece because there's no like, there's no like, there's no final, there's, there's no finish line feeling in publishing. There's no red carpet moment. There's no, yeah. Um, so you, so you make all these tiny little moments for yourself and they, yeah. And, and it helps a lot. Yeah. Then you feel like you're, you know, you're celebrating your success along the way and your success is totally put into your terms. Yeah. Um, you decide what, what, what means to you, yeah. what matters. And it matters to me that I have a good writing day and I celebrate that. So That's such amazing <laughs> advice. So, so good and so true. And everyone should listen to that. Um, and um, so also, now that we're talking about advice, um, everyone who's on the podcast gives us either their most embarrassing publishing related story or something that they wish they'd known before they started. So um, it's up to you. You can do you could do both. You could do either or it's it's one of you can do the the embarrassing uh, story. <laughs> one of you can do the, the advice portion, it, it, however you want to play it. This is one of the best things about doing things as a couple because you get to split up. The- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, I'll just, so Corey just patted my back because I have the embarrassing story. Oh, oh. <laughs> this one's all you. That's what that backpack. <laughs> so um, so at, at my very first book launch party for my first book that came out in 2013, I went down to Austin, where I used to live, and I went to Book People, which is this awesome indie right in the middle of the city. And I had all of my Austin writer friends coming back. Um, we were all going to, you know, get together for this event, and and um, I was so excited. And so I prepared this speech about spaceships because my book was sci-fi, and and so I had this whole like you know little sp- thing I was going to give. So I got there, and I just got you know I got off the plane that afternoon and go straight to the the bookstore and I hadn't really had much to eat and I hadn't really had enough water that day, but I was like, I'm going to, okay, I'm all right. I'm going to do it. So I get there and the bookseller asked, and one of the very nice booksellers asked me, do you need anything? And I said, it'd be really great if I could get some water. And they disappear and you know, we're getting ready. And the, um, you know, a couple minutes go by and, and I, I didn't get the water and I had an opportunity to ask, but I was like, don't, don't be a diva. Just, just get started. Everything will be fine. So I stood up. And I started to give my little speech about spaceships and about 30 seconds in, I was like, Oh no, I'm going down. (laughs) (laughs) um, Vanessa and Varian Johnson. I don't know if you guys know Varian, but he's the best like leapt out of the leapt out of the crowd. because They saw it about to happen. And, and they like caught me mid fall um, as I was passing out during the middle of my very first book launch. Oh my God! You passed out. Passed no. Out. Oh no. <laughs> so it happened. But the funny part was then, like after that happened, I was I had that moment where I was like, "Well, that's the worst possible thing that could have happened." So now, now we're just gonna have fun. That's gonna. So I got like the little <laughs> in my head, and I got water. But I guess the thing I would say, which is also the advice I wish I'd known before I started, is it's you're not a diva to ask for what you need. You're not a oh. diva to ask for. To, to ask for a simple thing that you need, to ask for information from your agent, from your mm-hmm. editor, to ask for a cup of water when you really need one. Um, yeah, and it's yeah. not a diva moment. That's just taking care of yourself and 
you should take care of yourself as an author because there are so many, it was, there, that was a slower learning curve for me than it should have been. Um, I just wanted to make everything so, so easy and, and not ever, you know, be that person who, who needed something. And sometimes that's how you pass out. During yeah. Your- and you don't want to pass out. That's scary. Yeah. Um, and that's such good advice too. I think, especially for marginalized authors, we are always scared to sort of rock the boat and, Absolutely. It is okay to ask for things, especially if it's just a cup of water. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so bad for past you and your poor dehydrated body. Like, telling all these really sad stories, you get, I'm, I'm good. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm so mad at Varian for that, too, because. I'm mad at Varian. Okay, so he's. No, he saved you. Yes, but let me tell you what Varian did. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> We're gonna... um, yeah, no. I was really sad that I couldn't be there. I was in Michigan. Amy Rose and I were not together then. We were just friends. But I was really, really sad. I mean, I actually, like, had... One you of, had someone else bring I you had, flowers. I had someone else... Yeah. Really and I gave him very specific instructions that he was not to buy the flower. He was to find the flower on the street somewhere, and it was to be this color. Yeah, really I was clearly already in love with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I messaged Varian, like, right after mm-hmm. your book event. He posted a picture, and I was like, Varian, how did it go? And he just writes back, I will let her tell you how it went. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so ominous. That yeah. is so ominous. That's fine. We ended up having a great time. I will will let her tell you. (laughs) Marion. So I will will say the thing that I wish I knew. And I'm actually going to piggyback. Uh, We watched a documentary recently that was for, um, what was it called? It was called The Dames, wasn't it? Tea with the Dames. Tea with the Dames. Okay. And it was for... um, Very venerable British actresses. Yes, having tea and talking about their careers. And one of them was, of course, Maggie Smith. Amazing. And they asked Maggie Smith, if you had any advice for your younger self, what would it be? And she just kind of looks at the camera like she's got so much attitude. I love it. And she just goes, when in doubt, don't. And then she just stopped. So I have it like written on my workspace. When in doubt, don't. <laughs> and That's a good that one actually. That is actually what I wish I had knew, known before. There's a lot of times when you are a young writer, people will come to you and they will say, "If you do this, this could happen." And you have to decide whether or not you want to roll that dice. But for me. I, I doubted some of the choices that I made, but I was willing to go along with what other people were advising. And I wish, and I'm not doing that anymore. So that's the best I can do. So when in doubt, don't. <laughs> I love it. I love that I so much. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really super excited for Once in Future. I can definitely tell that both of you put so much into this book and it means a lot to you. And I think that when you do that um, with your books, it shows and which is really funny because that's what um, Kat and I were talking about during the intro, sort of um, putting a lot of yourself into the book and how those kinds of books tend to resonate most with uh, readers. Um, So could you tell uh, our listeners where they can follow you on the Internet? Yes. Um, so we are on Twitter begrudgingly. 
Uh, <laughs> mood? Um, mood, seriously. Um, I, think, I think actually we're really, really close to to having just a news page. Um, and uh, But we are on Instagram, and we love doing Instagram. And if you want to see pictures of our quirky houses and all of our houses, our houses. we have so many houses. Our house, we and just got one, like, really just, like, this year. Well, they we, made it sound like they have a lot going on. Them. Yeah. <laughs> we have so many houses. Um, um, but then we also have a really spunky kid that's hilarious and um and we like we like to share little pieces of our family on instagram so if you want to know who we are as people that is where you should find us and And it's just our names yes just our names and then we also have websites that is just our names.com so coymccarthy.com and amyrosecapetta.com Perfect. And I will put links to all of those things in the show notes for anybody who is interested and as well as the buy link for the book, uh, because it will be out tomorrow. Yeah. So you can still pre-order and be one of the cool kids. Day. So I get to say penultimate. Penultimate day. All right, so Amy Rose and Corey, thank you so, so, so much for coming on the podcast. It was so much fun to talk to you guys um, and can't wait to read Once in Future. Thank you so much. Thank you. We had a great time. Thanks. Hey. <laughs>